simple as it. We're going to pray before we uh, start to look at this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. And we thank you for uh, focusing our hearts and our minds on what happened in Joppa and in Caesarea uh, so long ago. And we thank you that we have the strong conviction that what happened there uh, is relevant to us. And so we pray that as we look at this story, we wouldn't just see it as something of a strange event that happened a long time ago and has nothing much to say to us. But we pray that you would teach us something about you, something about the Lord Jesus Christ, something about ourselves, so that we may go from this place um, subtly different from how we came in. We pray that you would uh, be at work in us by your word, we pray. Uh, so hear us and help us speak to us through Jesus, we ask. Amen. <clears throat> Sometimes I think I'm the luckiest man in the world because I get to talk to um, some wonderful people about uh, amazing things. And um, today is one of those times. Um, it's really nice to sit there and not to have to kind of conduct things um, and make sure everything happens when it should and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's really nice as well to just listen to Acts 10 being read and see um, how this wonderful story unfolds. And um, I hope that as we look at it this afternoon, we'll see something of its um, relevance uh, to us in our circumstances. We don't live in Caesarea, we don't live in Joppa, but we do live in Bordeaux, and um, this story has something to say to us. I want to tell you, to begin with, though, I'm making an attempt at uh, doing without the lectern. So um, if I fumble with bits of paper, forgive me, okay? But I want to start by, and I'm going to walk around, you'll think I've gone mad, but that's okay. Um, I want to start by talking to you about a man who was born in Dortmund. I hope that's the right way to say it. Um, yeah, I'm getting a thumbs up. Dortmund. Uh, he was a German, and um, his name was Heitz Stahlschmidt. Uh, and he uh, came to Bordeaux, and he happened to be in Bordeaux in, I think, I, did, I haven't checked the month, but I'm pretty sure, actually, I've got it on the sheet of paper. He was in Bordeaux in, do, 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 in August of 1944. Um, and uh, that's when he came to Bordeaux. He actually died in Bordeaux. He died in Bordeaux in, I think, 1990. Um, but he died under the name of Henri Salmide. Henri Salmide. So he was born in Germany, in Dortmund, as Heitz Stahlschmidt. And he died in Bordeaux under the name of Henri Salmide. And um, there was a time when the French wanted to shoot him on sight and the Germans wanted to hang him. And you think, whatever did he do that, you know, every, everyone wanted his blood, you know, they, they were after his neck, this poor guy. Well, I'll tell you what he did. Um, he was the Gestapo commandant um, in charge of the munitions uh, in Bordeaux in August 1944. And by August 1944, it was clear to the Nazi um, hierarchy and to the officers that the war was lost, okay? It was only a matter of time the war was lost. And so they gave the order to uh, Heinz 
Stahl Schmidt to blow up the port of Bordeaux. And he had the ordnance to do it. He had the, the ammunition to do it. And they said to him, blow up the whole port. And it came to the length that he was going to blow up was, I'm sure it was in here somewhere, somewhere like seven kilometres. No, seven miles. Seven miles is ten kilometres. Now remember, in those days, the port of Bordeaux was right through the city. Okay? There were cranes uh, for loading coal onto ships where you now skateboard, all of you, uh, on the quays. Um, so the whole border was the port of Bordeaux, and he was given the order to blow the whole thing up. And he refused. Well, he didn't refuse, actually, he didn't refuse. What he did, he was very canny, this guy. Um, he uh, told the French resistance where the ammunition was. He said, look, there's lots of explosives hidden in a shed, stocked in a shed, by the side of the port. If you go down there after dark, I will ensure that you can steal it. But they didn't trust him, so they wouldn't go. And he thought, this is frustrating. Um, so he thought, I don't know what I can do. So he decided he would blow it up himself. He blew up the ammunition dump. Uh, they say that something like uh, 35, I think it was, no, 50, 50 soldiers died in the explosion. But they estimate that he saved the lives of 3,500 civilians, at least, and he saved the keys. It's because of him that you can skateboard along the keys, as you all do on a Sunday afternoon, I'm sure. Um, Heinz Stahlschmidt, who died as Henri Salmide, he stayed in Bordeaux. Um, he was um, hidden from the French and the Germans. He was hidden by a lady called um, Madame Moga whose son became the uh, deputy mayor. And he became a fireman and uh, died in 1990 in the city that he loved. And why do I tell you the story? Well, there can come a time when everyone wants your blood, can't there? When, um, when he, um, he saved a city, he saved thousands of lives, and everyone hated him. Everyone hated him. The Germans wanted his neck, the French wanted his neck, and at the same time, he'd saved um, thousands of people. Oh, incidentally, uh, this I didn't know until I, I looked it up today. You can, this is just from Wikipedia. You can find this easily, okay? Um, but he says, my family were Huguenot, and I acted according to my Christian conscience. I could not accept that the port would be wantonly destroyed when the war was clearly lost. So that was Henri Salmide or Heinz Stahlschmidt. What's that going to do with Acts 10? Well, here is Acts 10, um, and we're in the city of Caesarea. Um, if Caesarea rings bells with you, it's because it was built to honour Caesar. Yeah? It wasn't in Rome, it wasn't in Italy, it was um, in what is current, currently, or um, I guess, um, currently Palestine or Israel. Um, I should have looked that up, really. But Caesarea was a, a very, very Roman city. It was built to honour Caesar. And so the architecture was Roman, the temples were Roman, the culture was Roman, the food was Roman. Everything about it was Roman. And everything about it would have stunk in the noses of Jewish people. Because the food, you know the stuff those people ate, 
you know? They didn't obey the food laws, the way those people lived, the things those people worshipped. They were dirty people who lived in Caesarea. And what's more, they'd come here and they'd invaded our country. We were under the Roman yoke. Can you imagine uh, what it was like? And here then is this man, and his name is Cornelius. Um, it's a little bit, bit like if you're uh, French, being called Jean-François, you know, or if you're Welsh, being called Gitto. Um, it's kind of like a really, really Roman name, Cornelius. Uh, so it's, it's really rubbing uh, everyone's noses in it. This guy is a Roman. Not only that, he's a Roman soldier, okay? He's a Roman soldier. Not only that, he's a Roman centurion. He's an officer. Not only that, he's a Roman centurion in the Italian regiment. Uh, it's a bit like in French terms if he was in the, uh, the Republican Guard. You know, the Republican Guard, the elite troops. And uh, uh, here he is. He's in the Italian regiment. He's not one of these foreign soldiers, you know. He's in the Italian regiment, and doubtless he had a nice Roman accent and everything. Um, and yet, there was something special about this guy, because he knew that the gods of Rome were nothing. That the statues they worshipped in their temples had no real existence whatsoever. The whole thing was a facade. He knew that the real living God was the God of Israel. But there was nothing he could do about it. Because the God of Israel is the God of Israel. And he's a Roman. He's dirty. He's Gentile. He's uncircumcised. He's a Roman soldier. He could never belong. He did never belong. He would never belong. Now we've seen other people like this, haven't we? Do you remember the story of the eunuch? He couldn't belong. He couldn't. And now we have this Roman soldier and he can't belong. He's, he's, he's dirty. However, he fears the true and living God. And then one day uh, he's there and he sees an angel. God sends an angel to this man. And do you catch this? Who does this man? He's a Roman soldier. He's occupying the territory of God's people. But God sends an angel to him. And the angel brings him a most wonderful message. He says, listen, God knows you. More than that, God knows your name. Did you see that? The angel says, Cornelius. He addresses him by name. Not only that, he says, God knows your heart. He knows what you care about. And he knows what you're doing. And he values it. He appreciates it. Your prayers, says the angel, and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. And so the angel says, so there's something you've got to do. There's a message you've got to hear, and I'm not going to tell you it. Now, that's really important. 
Have you ever thought about this? Angels do not get the privilege of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that? You don't hear the gospel from an angel. Because they can't tell it like it needs to be told. Only dirty sinners can share the gospel like it needs to be told. Yeah? Only failures can tell the story of the one who takes failures and makes them into saints. And so the angel just says, you've got to send for Peter. You've got to send for Peter. Um, he's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And so um, Cornelius sends off three of his guys, okay? Two servants and a soldier. And you think, yeah, like this is really going to work. Uh, so two servants of a centurion and a Roman soldier are going to turn up in Joppa at the house of Simon the Tanner and say, um, Peter, please really come with us. Um, and kind of like we, we aren't entirely sure that that's really going to work. Because after all, they're Gentiles. They stink, these people. Do you know what they call them? They call them dogs. They call them pigs. Because they stank the stuff they ate, the way they lived. You wouldn't even go into their houses. Meanwhile, Peter's at the Tanner's house. Now already that's, that's risky. Tanners work with dead animals. That's what they do. They take the skin off dead animals and they make it into leather. And I'm not going to explain to you how people made leather in those days. I will just say, look it up. You will be horrified. The stench must have been appalling. And Peter is staying in this place. I, I can't imagine, you know. Thankfully, it was by the sea. And what does Peter do? At noon, when the sun is the hottest, he goes up on the roof. Well, I think, frankly, so would I. You know? Um, and while he's at the roof, on the roof, um, one hopes there were sea breezes, if the house was by the sea. Um, Peter's hungry. He recovers his appetite, maybe. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm reading too much in, but you know, um, he's up on the roof and he's feeling hungry and he falls into a trance. And he sees heaven open. Now, in the Bible, when we see heaven open, it's God declaring something, yeah? The heavens opened and the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, okay? So the heavens open and now we see a sheet descending out of heaven. And in it, well, there's all kinds of stuff. You know, there's all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. How many people here have eaten reptiles? Anyone here? Have you? Reptiles? Are you serious? What? Have you? And you as well. Alligator. Anyone else eaten reptiles? Anyone had, anyone fancied lizard stew or snake on toast or what else have you had? Amphibians. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No offence meant to anyone who, who fancies a bit of frog now and again. But I mean, you know, <laughs> frogs and reptiles, there is a limit. Um, uh, well, that's what Peter sees. Reptiles and birds and four-footed animals. And the voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, I can't eat that. Lord, I can't eat that. You know I'm not allowed to eat that. It's unclean, it's dirty, it's filthy. I can't eat it. 
Second time, the sheet comes down. I can't eat that. Third time, the sheet comes down. Now listen, this is Peter. Okay? When things happen three times in Peter's life, uh, Peter starts to take notice, okay? Three times he denies him, three times he's restored, three times the sheet comes down out of heaven. And Peter um, starts to wonder, what is going on? What is the meaning of this vision? Is it really that God wants me to go out and eat a frog and an alligator? Is that really what God is telling me to do? Hey, Peter, good news, frogs for lunch. Well, I mean, you know, to be honest with you, I am not vegan or vegetarian, uh, but I do not fancy eating a frog. I really don't, you know? I've held frogs. Frogs are nice little creatures, but I do not fancy eating a frog or an alligator, you know? And, and I wasn't brought up like Peter. Peter is going to have issues. You, you just, don't just switch like that. Whoa, slugs, yeah. It doesn't happen, you know? Hey, worms. It's not going to happen like that, is it? Um, you've still got to get over things, haven't you? It's, it's deeply ingrained in you, especially food, you know? Um, well, anyway, so Peter is wondering, what is going on? Is this about frogs? Is this about me eating boudinoir? Is, is, that the, is that what God is trying to tell me? And, lo and behold, who arrives at the door? Three men. Peter starts thinking, um, three men, two servants, and a Roman soldier. And they say, would you please come with us? Because we need you to uh, come and speak to a centurion called Cornelius, who's in Caesarea. Um, he's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Now listen, here is Peter, and he's in the middle, okay? He's in the middle of this, of this huge thing that is happening. And we don't get it. We can't get it because we're all Gentiles, aren't we? We all stink. You know, we all eat bad stuff. We all have this, this unclean way of life. But here is Peter, and he's not like that. But he's got to go and bring a centurion into the kingdom. And so God gets him in a pincer movement. He really does. Peter, you're having a vision. Don't call unclean what I'm calling clean. So Peter sees this vision, he thinks, what is this about? At the same time, Cornelius, uh, the angel comes to Cornelius and says, you've got to send for Peter. And so Peter, the men arrive at the house, all orchestrated beautifully by the Holy Spirit, because this is a really big deal, and Peter's got to do it. Now listen, um, <clears throat> our message today stops at verse 43, okay? And I thought, well, that's really weird. Um, I thought, well, that's quite kind of good because um, Superman gets all the awkward stuff next week. Is it next week? It's next week he gets all the awkward stuff. But listen, next week, um, Peter's going to get a good old grinning. Look at what they say to him in the beginning of chapter 11. Listen to this. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, which is basically all of them, okay, criticised him and said, you... You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. And to us, we kind of think, big deal. Yeah, big deal. 
You went into the house of uncircumcised. You went in their house and you ate with them. So it's a big deal. The, the barrier that Peter is crossing is a huge, uh, huge barrier. Um, and, so, uh, and so Peter invites them into the house of Simon the Tanner. He's, 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 these are baby steps, but he's been taking the baby steps. Now it's time for a giant leap, okay, for the kingdom of God. And um, Peter gets ready to go. Now I want to ask you, um, what barriers exist for you? Um, what, what things do you think make it impossible for you to talk to certain people about the Lord Jesus Christ? What barriers exist for you? For example, um, I don't know whether there's anyone here. I suspect I'm looking around. I don't think there's anyone here from the Middle East. Um, the Middle East is an area where there's a lot of tension. What kind of barriers are there in the Middle East? Or what about Southeast Asia? Again, an area where, you know, there's quite a, a, a lot of tension. What barriers exist between people in Southeast Asia? What about Africa? In Africa, it's other things, isn't it? Sometimes it's tribalism. What barriers exist between different people in Africa? In Europe, well, we've got our history as well, haven't we? What barriers exist between people? Um, for Europeans. But it's not just national barriers, is it? What about education? And the barriers that education sets up. What about wealth? And the barriers that wealth sets up. What about culture? And the barriers that culture can set up. There are all kinds of issues that mean that we find it really, really difficult to talk to certain people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Language, language is a huge barrier, isn't it? Um, now on Wednesday, we're gonna talk about um, barriers that, that we are confronted with. And I need you to think about these things so that we can discuss them on Wednesday, okay? And, um, and how we can cross barriers uh, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So anyway, Peter goes with them, and he, he goes to Caesarea, and he goes into the Gentile house. I wonder how he felt, you know? Um, people in, in Wales, they say, do you know, for some people, it's easier to go to a nightclub than to come to our churches. Because you go into a church, you don't know what you're supposed to do. What are you supposed to do? Um, do, do, you, do you just go and sit down? Do you have to talk to people? Do you have to pick up a book? Do you, uh, do you have to put money somewhere? Do you have to put water on yourself? Do you have to make a sign? What do you have to do when you go into a church? Just the same as like um, uh, me with some, some of the cafes in Bordeaux. You never know what you're supposed to do, do you? Do you order at the counter? Do you pay before? Do you pay after? Do they come to the table? It's so confusing sometimes when you go to a, to a cafe. I mean, I've been in a cafe and sat there at the table for 10 minutes and nothing's happened. And you think, I've probably got this wrong, you know? Um, and there are all these kinds of barriers, aren't there? And they can be kind of quite simple mechanical things. Well, here is Peter and there's this Gentile house and he goes, oh, I can't imagine the smell. Never been in a Gentile house. Does it smell of pork? You know? Is it going to stink of pork? Uh, am I going to go in there and immediately feel sick? And so Peter, 
I don't know, I imagine him taking a deep breath. And then he goes into the Gentile house and he begins. I do not recommend this as a way of beginning. But oh, Peter, he's a marvellous guy, isn't he? He begins his little speech. You are well aware, verse 28, that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. However, but God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean, even though you are, you know? <laughs> is this a good way to begin? I don't know, but it's how we did. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Um, Incidentally, Peter enters the house. What does Cornelius do? Cornelius falls uh, on his face before him. You think, what? He's worshipping me. And so Peter immediately bows. He says, get up, I'm a man. Well, why does Cornelius do that? Because that's what you do in Roman society. Someone like the emperor, someone you're showing great respect to, you fall on the floor. Um, Did anyone see the enthronement of um, the King of Thailand. Anyone see that on the television? Um, they, they, he named his Queen Consort, incidentally, she's been dismissed since. But the Queen Consort, he, she came to him and she has to serve him with something. But he's sat on a chair and she's crawling across the floor towards him. Literally, not even on her hands and knees. She's lying on the floor and kind of inching towards him to give him something. And you think, well, that's what, that's what Cornelius does. Peter comes in, straight on his face. And Peter says, get up. You can't do that to me. I'm a man. You know, you don't worship people like that. Uh, so all these barriers that are, that are coming up, and they, they don't know how to talk to each other. Do they? they don't even know how to greet each other. It's so awkward. I tell you, it's a big relief to me. I can remember times when I've been in, in places in France and I've said something that I thought was going to be okay and it turns out it's quite impolite really. But anyway, I'm not going to go there and I'm never going to tell you about it. Uh, but anyway, there we are. <laughs> and so Connie says, look, we're all here, relatives, friends, all gathered here. We are here to hear what you have to say. Please tell us what we need to hear. And he says, not only that, we are here and God is here. Did you notice? We are here and God is here. It's verse 33. We are all here in the presence of God. In this smelly Gentile house that stank of bacon. And Peter is thinking... But they're in the presence of God. To listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Now an angel couldn't tell him. Angels do not have the right to explain the gospel. They can't recommend a saviour if they've never sinned. But man, Peter can. Peter knows how to recommend the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter, um, he starts to explain. He says, you know, God has a plan for the whole wide world. He put that plan into action in Israel and he did it through his own dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what he says about the Lord Jesus. I'm just going to read the verses and I'm going to make one little observation, okay, which I think is really important. Um, And I'll I'll read the verses to you. You know the message God sent, verse 36. 
to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Not Caesar, incidentally, not Caesar. Jesus, Lord of all. You know what's happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He wasn't seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And then he gets the crunch. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. End of speech. <clears throat> what is the point? The point is the greatest uh, crosser of barriers. You understand what I mean, don't you? The greatest person who crossed barriers that the world has ever seen is the Lord Jesus Christ. You just think of the barriers he crosses. He comes into this dirty, foul world. He comes as an infant. He's never known what it is to be small, dependent, helpless, uh, to need other people. He's never been like that. And now he needs other people so much. Um, he... He made the whole wide world. The heavens can't contain him. But he walks the lonely streets of Israel and says, The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I've got nowhere to sleep, he says. That's who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a homeless vagabond. I just roam the streets. That's who I am. I've got nowhere to lay my head. Not even like a fox, you know. Um, he, he speaks to the, the people who are outcasts. He'll eat with those who are called drunkards. He'll drink with those who are called drunkards. He'll sit um, by the side of a well and talk to a Samaritan woman. He'll cross those barriers. He'll mix with those who are despised. A dishonest tax collector. A Roman collaborator uh, who um, hides in a tree uh, so he can just even see the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says... I'm eating with you, and everyone goes, no, not with him, not with him. But he does, and he crosses the biggest barrier that exists, and that is the barrier of our sin that cuts us off from God. How does he cross that barrier? By taking all our sin and guilt on himself, and by uh, submitting himself. To be nailed to a cross. I don't even know how to put it. I mean, it's, it's, I know what I want to tell you. He, he makes it so that they nail him to a cross. But I don't know how to say that in English. I'm not even sure in French. I, I'm not sure. There is a way in any language to say what Jesus did. Because he walks into that situation just as if he says, crucify me. You know, do it. Do it. It's why I came. And, and, and that's why he came. He's crossing all those huge barriers that separate you, separate you from God so that you can be reconciled 
to God. You, you sitting there. And you know, it's just like with Cornelius, isn't it? He knows your name. He knows your heart. He knows how you live. He cares about you. And he wants you to trust in Jesus Christ as well for yourself. And to find in Jesus Christ forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus came. He came to cross those amazing barriers. For some of you, that's, that's what you need to hear. I'll say it again, um, if I can find the verse. <clears throat> Listen. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you are. Everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins. Dare you, dare you accept that? Dare you trust him? Dare you believe it? Dare you think that he can reconcile you to God? He will. You trust him, he'll reconcile you. But then for others of you, um, there's something else that we need to think about. What if we embraced Jesus' plan for ourselves? You know the Lord Jesus Christ, to cross these barriers, he died. He died to all he was, didn't he? Um, he's nailed to that cross. He's the Lord of glory, but where's his glory now? His glory is the cross. Where's his throne? His throne is the nails. Where is the wonder of his love? It's the blood flowing down his side. He dies to cross those barriers. What if you died too? What if you were willing to die to your preferences, to your tastes, to your background, to your culture? What if you embraced Jesus' plan and died in order to cross the barriers and said, I don't care what I am. I don't care what I've been. I don't care what I like. I don't care what my tastes are. I'm going to meet that other person where they are. Where they are. So that barriers can be broken down. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? If you could cross barriers just like Jesus did. And just like Peter did. If you put Jesus and his kingdom first. He could work in your life too, couldn't he? He really could. And imagine if all God's people took that baby step, you know? Um, for Peter, it was staying in the house of Simon the Tanner. Um, and then came that giant leap. But what if all of God's people took that baby step away from the safe and the familiar and the clean and the prized and the precious and the beloved? To the new and scary where we're out of our depth. We'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful story. And we thank you for what we'll hear next week as well. Of how you uh, sealed this whole event with a, a touch of glory. And we pray that you would help us uh, in our uh, way in our turn and in our little lives to, um, to, to be on fire with the spirit uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same spirit that inspired Peter to, to just take that step 
that step that, that we don't want to take uh, so that we can cross that barrier and meet the other person where they are. Please help us, we pray. Help us to be those who uh, know the privilege of explaining uh, to other beggars where there's food, uh, to, to explain to other guilty people where there's forgiveness and to show that um, all who believe in Jesus Christ receive forgiveness of sins in his name. Help us, we pray, because we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.